Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody today, and um, I hope you are well. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, my name is Roland, and I'm uh, the lead pastor here. It's uh, good to uh, be with you uh, together, and uh, thank you for joining us. Um, before we get started, as always, um, just wanted to um, send a special shout out to um, somebody who uh, does not like a lot of attention, so I'll just use initials. His name might be Billy G, and his birthday <laughs> birthday was yesterday, so it was Billy's birthday yesterday. Okay. <laughs> But for the purpose of protecting identities, his name is Billy G. Okay, so all right. So with that, with that, uh, with that in mind, we want to uh, jump right into the Word of God today, uh, because as uh, Pastor Cole said, there's so much going on. It's so exciting. We're happy uh, that it is the holiday season coming up, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be transitioning from the last uh, series that we were doing, which was in the world but not of it, in it not of it, um, and we're going to be talking about declarations. Over the month of November, um, we're going to be talking about declarations that will hopefully, as a Christian, um, be helpful to your ongoing walk with God. Things that need to be coming out of our mouths to help define and shape our thinking, define and shape our attitudes, define and shape our interactions with people as we're representing the Lord Jesus Christ in our daily existence. Um, but then as we go into December, with the Advent season, we'll be celebrating the Advent season specifically by talking about declarations of the Advent, and what was it that God himself was declaring through the Advent of the Lord Jesus, and that all that he accomplished for us through his coming, which is literally what the word Advent means. So today we're going to um, talk about declarations, and we're going to directly and intentionally link it to next week's Friendsgiving that we have, because it's going to be a wonderful time of um, celebrating and just thanking God for all of his goodness towards us, first and foremost, through the gospel of Jesus. Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, so that we could be forgiven of our sins against a holy and a righteous God. And if you've not actually received that forgiveness today, um, is your day to do it. Today is your day to make be reconciled to God and make your peace with God by repenting of your sin and putting your trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for you. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, right? We're going to be thanking him for all that he's done. And in addition, to that, we're going to just be thanking him for all that he's done amongst us because he not only says, I've given you eternal life, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full or life abundant, right? Abundant life in Christ. And that's in the here and now as well. And so we want to thank God for that as he's bringing us into that. But today, um, if you're going to be taking notes, our message is going to um, be about declarations, but it's specifically about the responsibility of the church as God's been so good to us. As as God's been so gracious to us? What is our responsibility to the rest of the world as the church? And today's message will actually be um, a declaration called, He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That is a declaration that we need to have as a church. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good word to us today. We thank you that You've given us your mercy and your grace and your son. 
and we celebrate your son, not just on Sunday, but all throughout the week, every day, even before Christmas time comes around. God, we're rejoicing. We're rejoicing. And God, if anyone today needs a renewal of the joy of their salvation, may it be theirs today. A renewal of the joy of the salvation that you provided for them. And may it shape us, may it focus us. And today, may we live out of that place as we study your good words, which commands us and tells us that we're to declare you've anointed us to preach good news to the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today, if you have a Bible, open it, um, what you would to me, with me to two places. We're going to look both um, places in Luke, and it's going to start in Luke chapter 4, <clears throat> starting in verse 16, and then also we're going to jump ahead to some of Jesus' message in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. But um, today, just to give you a sort of a roadmap of where we're going, we're just going in two sections today, and we're going to talk about he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor in two, two sections. Number one, we're going to talk about Christ's mandate, Christ's mandate that he received from the Father and had given to the church, has given to the church. And then number two, the church's challenge. The church's challenge in the midst of that mandate. So we have Christ's mandate that was given to him by the Father for his coming, and then it's a mandate that he passed on to the church, and then also in the midst of that mandate, the church's challenge. So whenever we look at the, first of all, Christ's mandate, we look at not only what Jesus himself has said, but how he's affected those who had been led by the Holy Spirit to preach his name and to preach his word after he had his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. And in Galatians, there was the, one of Paul, the Apostle Paul's early letters. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Apostle Paul was the writer of at least three-fourths of the New Testament letters. And one of his early letters was to a region called Galatians. Just like our Chicagoland area is a region that he would have been writing a letter to, giving instruction by the Holy Spirit in how to serve the Lord. And he had been serving God for a number of years, and he had actually been doing great things, planting churches throughout the known world. It was the Roman Empire at the time. Much of that world was um, pagan or did not know the living God through Jesus Christ. And he was planting churches unto the cause of seeing people reconciled to the living God, brought from death to life from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. That's what he was continually talking about, right? That the gospel is good news. That's literally what it means. It's good news. And the good news that he brings is is a good news or a message of reconciliation, where God's opening blind eyes. He's bringing people out of their bondage to sin. He's bringing people out of their lifestyle of destruction that will inevitably lead them to hell without Christ. And he's saying literally that I'm preaching this message and I'm seeing people have their eyes opened and repent of their sin and turn to God. But whenever he did that for a period of time, he went to Jerusalem to actually meet with some of those who are apostles before he was. And he said, I want to make sure that this message that I'm preaching isn't just something I'm doing in isolation. Though it's a message that was given to me by the Lord himself, I want to make sure that I have a buffer, right? That I've talked to the people who've actually walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. Yes, I met him on the Damascus road, but I want to know that the people that have gone before me, I'm actually living in an orthodox faith, right? Isn't that good, the good that we do things like that? It's not enough that we have our own private or personal spirituality, but we've got to connect it to the ongoing history of the 
church. And so in the same way, the Apostle Paul was doing this. And in Galatians, he went to meet with people like Peter and John. He met with Andrew and some of the other, um, I'm sorry, some of the other people who were meant to be leaders in the church. And he said that when they met with him, it said, on the contrary, as they were discussing the message that Paul was preaching, he said they didn't reject the message that he was preaching. They did not say, hey, listen, stop preaching the gospel. You know, it's, it's good that you want to see people reconciled to God, but they're more important matters. The more important things or concerns that we have to give ourselves to in the world in which we live, right? There's the feeding of the poor. There, there's the uh, care for the orphan and the widow. There are all types of good things that we need to be doing. So Paul, you're spending a lot of energy on this preaching of the good news to see people reconciled to God, but why don't you chill out on that and focus on the other things? In fact, they did not say that, but they affirmed that which Paul was doing. They affirmed that which Paul was doing as primary, of primary importance, of primary importance. Everybody say that with me, primary importance, but in addition, wanted to make sure that he also did the tangible things that should come as an expression of the gospel. If my life is transformed and my life is changed after being reconciled with God, it affects how I interact with the world around me. And Paul says this in Galatians. He says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, which means the Jewish people, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, which was another name for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they were saying, listen, yes, keep preaching the gospel. What you are doing is good. It needs to be of primary importance. Only they asked us to remember the poor. They asked us, they said, preach the gospel, see people reconciled to God, see people come from death to life and from the power of Satan to God, but remember the poor. Remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do the very thing I was eager to do. So in our modern, modern context, a lot of times we have this, this uh, uh, sort of tension that people feel unnecessarily. They feel that it's either something like a social gospel or it's a salvific gospel. How many people have run into things like that before? That the emphasis in the, or through the church world is either, either what we're doing as the hands and feet of Jesus to serve the community around us, or we're preaching the gospel, which can actually see them reconciled to God. Well, what God is saying through Paul is it's not one or the other. It's both and. It is both and. Of primary importance is seeing the hearts of men and women transformed by the living gospel of Jesus Christ. But through that, you see that they are actually agents of change in the world around them to bring his good news to the earth. Now, how do we know that Paul was motivated in this way? Or why, in fact, was Paul so anxious to not only preach the good news of reconciliation to the world, but also remember the poor. We know it because of Christ's mandate. And this is where we begin in Luke chapter 4. It said this about Jesus. This was him picking up um, his ministry at around 30 years old after he had been 
tested by the enemy, tested by Satan out in the desert. He was fasting and praying, preparing for his ministry as a sent one. He himself was our great apostle sent to the world to preach the good news. And it said that after he's coming out of his temptation, his testing in the desert, this was one of the first messages that he spoke. It said, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. I'll just let that sit for a minute. As was Jesus' custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So if Jesus, the Son of God, went to the house of worship on the Sabbath day to make God primary and first in all that he did, how many people say, so should we? Jesus, as was his custom. Okay, let's continue. That's not the message today. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. He has anointed me. And if you're unfamiliar with religious terms, the word anointing meant to put, was a term used when the oil was poured out and it was smeared on consecrated things. Whether it be priests or articles for worship or things devoted to God for his praise and glory. He said, the spirit of the Lord has been poured out on me because he's literally anointed me and set me apart for a purpose. And he says, that purpose is this. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So Jesus is in and of himself in his ministry on the earth is making a proclamation He's saying, what's going to define my life, my activity, my energy, my resources, everything that I give myself to is based on this proclamation that I'm making. I am set apart by the Father sent to this earth to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, obviously, we're, when we think about the poor, we think um, initially about those who are lacking in material things or material goods. But Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that that's not the only poverty he's talking about. He's also talking about a poverty of spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. And what that word literally meant, poor, in the Greek was somebody who wasn't just living hand to mouth or living from paycheck to paycheck. It was somebody who was so desperate and so destitute that they didn't even have a way to do for themselves. They didn't have a way to make a way in the world as they needed to. And Jesus is literally identifying the real issue. The real issue is a poverty of spirit. The real issue is a poverty in your heart that without Christ, there is no reconciliation with the Father because none of us can be good enough, smart enough, or anything otherwise to actually be right with God. We have got to have a reconciler. We've got to have a substitute for ourselves that covers us in our sin, that washes us, that wipes away our sin, our guilt, and our shame. And Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, has done that for us. Isn't that good news? 
He says, I've come to preach good news to the poor. And blessed are you when you recognize that you're poor in spirit, that you're broken and you're needy, and that you need the living God to reform your heart from the inside out. It doesn't matter what you produce on the outside. Yes, be diligent. Yes, work a good job. Yes, get promoted. But ultimately, if you're bound in sin, you are broken inside and God needs to come and heal you and give you true riches in life that start from the inside out. That's how you live the life abundant. Not with the abundance of your possessions, but the abundance of the Holy Spirit, who he says he wants to have living inside of you and overflow from within you. He's saying, this is the abundant life that I want to give you. And I've been anointed by the Father to preach good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. But it's also the poor who actually are lacking materially who don't have their needs met. And let me tell you something. It is not, it is not just the decisions that people have made themselves that affect them and cause poverty in what we see around us. There are all types of issues, systemic issues in society that actually have people starting off in disadvantaged areas of the city, disadvantaged areas of education, disadvantaged areas. Many of us are educated, have different letters behind our names. And we assume that it's only because of our diligence or our work ethic or all types of things that we did that we're in the places that we are today. But the truth of the matter is, it's by the grace of God and it's only God's placement of you giving you the opportunities that you presently have that have gotten you where you are today. It is the grace of God. And some people without the same opportunity, without the same advantages, are stuck in a cycle that Jesus is coming to break. And he says, I'm coming to preach good news to the poor, not just poor in spirit, but actually poor in the poverty, the cycles that they find themselves in in the earth. He also said, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, Listen, I'm coming to bring the kingdom, baby. And from this point forward, though you might have been confused before, I'm making a proclamation. I'm making a declaration. And I and all who follow me will represent this. I and all who follow me will be devoted to this. Reconciliation with God and man. Reconciliation with man and man. And also proclaiming good news to the poor. Now there's a book that uh, I would recommend to you. It's actually one of um, uh, several of your favorites. It's actually a book called When Helping Hurts. Yes, I know. <laughs> okay, When Helping Hurts. It's actually um, by a man named Steve Corbett. Okay? And he actually said this in regards to the message of Jesus' declaration, proclaiming and being anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. 
And he actually said this. He said, personal piety and formal worship are essential to the Christian life, but they must lead to lives that act justly and love mercy, referring to Micah 6.8, right? Everybody will have that as a favorite scripture, you know? He said they must lead to that. It's, it's good that we come together and we sing songs. It's good that we come together and we read the Bible. It's good that we come together and do, um, have prayer and things of that nature. But he says that ultimately the transformed life must lead to things that act justly and love mercy. He went on to say this, if you are a North American Christian, the reality of our society's vast wealth presents you with an enormous responsibility. For throughout the scriptures, God's people are commanded to show compassion to the poor. In fact, doing so is simply part of our job description as followers of Jesus Christ. How many people say amen? Okay. While the biblical call to care for the poor transcends time and place, passages such as 1 John 3.17 should weigh particularly heavy on the minds and hearts of North American Christians. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Of course, there is no one-size-fits-all recipe for how each Christian should respond to this biblical mandate. Some are called to pursue poverty alleviation as a career, while others are called to do so as volunteers. Some are called to engage in hands-on relational ministry, while others are better suited to support frontline workers through financial donations, prayer, and other types of support. Each Christian has a unique set of gifts, callings, and responsibilities that influence the scope and manner in which to fulfill the biblical mandate to help the poor. So you see, it's a not, not a one-size-fits-all, right? A lot of times you hear the mandate that Christ has given us, and then immediately, how many people have ever before been so zealous that you wanted to throw off everything that you were doing and say, I'm called to full-time occupational ministry. I'm going to sell all that I have like the rich young ruler, live amongst the destitute, and I'm going to give myself to that. And that is piety, and that is godliness. Anybody ever before... Yeah, right. Because it's sort of like you, you have an urge, you have a stirring, and you're like, that's the only answer! And God's like, well, that's nice, but <laughs> who, who's going to pay for the meals that you're trying to feed the people? <laughs> Practical, right? Who's going to actually be there within the school system to rework the education structure? and go the extra mile to provide extracurricular activities and resources for those who are stuck in a cycle to help them come out? Who's going to provide legal services for those who are stuck in a system that's pitted against them and help them come into a new place of freedom, not just in the gospel, but in reality in life, everyday life? Who's going to do that, right? They're different avenues by which we fulfill the mandate of Christ. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The point is you need to be prayerful about how you're going to be involved. How you're going to be involved. And the point is be involved. Get involved. 
in and through your local church, in your community, through the gospel message of Christ. And let me say this, one is never divorced from the other. There is never gospel preaching without concern or ministry to the poor. And at the same time, whole denominations have formed around social activism, meaning that there is ministry or service to the poor, but they forget to preach the gospel. And what we are clearly seeing in Christ is that they're not mutually exclusive. They're together forever and always, preach the gospel as primary importance, and remember the poor. It's Christ's mandate. Well, for us, let's talk about an example of how we can do this together. It's the church's challenge, but it's one that we're going to take up together. In the church's challenge, we see Luke chapter 14, Jesus talking about a great banquet. And many of you are familiar with this <coughs> application, but he said this um, in speaking to the people <clears throat> going into the ministry that he had. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 14, Luke 14, it said this. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner, we like to socialize in Chicago, don't we? Okay, I hope so. <laughs> Some people are like, I, I don't even know why I'm here today. There are too many people. Okay, listen. Yes, we like to, <laughs> we like to socialize <laughs> in Chicago, okay? He says, but when you give a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Okay, now let me, let me make this clear. What Jesus is not saying is only invite people you don't know over to your house all the time. Okay, that's not what Jesus is saying. Okay, he's making a point here. Sort of like him saying, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't be my disciple, right? He's not saying hate your father and mother. He's saying in comparison to me, your love for me has to be greater than that of anybody else. In the same way, he's saying, don't just do this, but also think in another regard, okay? So lest anybody walk out and not have any more friends, okay? Here's the thing. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You're giving a feast, you're providing, but they can't repay you. Bless them. Invite them. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, meaning Jesus, said to him, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to this servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city 
and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, what Jesus is talking about here is obviously in this culture, there, was, there were feasts thrown all the time, but they were actually almost forms of social status or recognition, right? So that's why he's saying, don't just invite your friends or, you know, the rich or, you know, those who can repay you things. Why? Because it was an exchange of validation, an exchange of social um, status, almost like back in the day, keeping up with Joneses or like we talk about today, like, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians, you know, it's sort of like you're trying to figure out what things that I need to have to give me status in the world around me. He's saying, don't be caught up in that. But when you throw a banquet, basically invite those who can repay you. Now, this is the challenge of the church because what was happening in this society as the culture was is whenever banquets were thrown, first an invitation was given, people would accept the invitation, and then later when it was about to be time for the banquet to be put on, then another request would go out. You would have a runner who went out into the streets and basically said, it's time for the banquet. The invitation that you accepted, that banquet is now ready. Show up so we can enjoy it. The preparations have been made, so show up and let's actually enjoy it together. Now, this is a challenge of the church because many of us have said sinners' prayers, right? The invitation has been made. God has invited us into a life abundant with himself, a life of service before him where we're anointed to do the things that he's doing, and we say yes to the invitation. But then all of a sudden, there are opportunities that show up, and God's like, okay, now... Now is the time where I want my people together to rally behind the cause of Christ and do the things that Christ is doing. And then when that time comes, it's not the initial invitation that we reject, but it's the second one. It's the second one. And when it's time to show up to do the things that we said yes to, all of a sudden we begin to make excuses. We begin to make excuses. In their particular setting, it was three types of excuses. Two of them were similar. One was different, right? The excuses that they made is, listen, I'm just starting a business. I'm just starting a business with these yoke of oxen, or I'm considering a field. I, I, I'm about to buy a field. I need to go and see to it. Or I just got married, right? Aren't these the idols of our age? It's my business, my work life. Sorry, I don't have time for God or the things of God. I said yes to the initial invitation, but now that the dinner bell is ringing, I can't show up because my work is placing too many demands on me. And it was an offense to the one who invited them because he said, listen, when you accepted the invitation, you knew far in advance that these demands were coming. You knew far in advance that these demands were coming. Don't tell me you couldn't prepare for it. Don't tell me that you can prepare for everything in your work life, but you can't prepare to serve God. He said, in the same way that I want preparation for a presentation that you're giving in the workplace or in the academic setting or at school or of some sort. He said, I want the same type of preparation for the banquet that I'm inviting you to. Stop asking for excuses. Nothing just shows up. Nothing just comes upon you. 
It's almost like when I would continually talk to young men about sexual purity. And they would tell me over and over again, like, listen, I don't know what happened, man. I just like fell into bed and then like all of a sudden. I'm like, what? You had many steps before ending up in a bedroom alone with her and having your clothes just, did they just combust (laughs) and fly off? It's like, oh my God, how did this happen? You knew how it happened. You planned for it. In the same way, God's like, stop making excuses and plan to show up when he's ringing the dinner bell. Whether it's for worship or it's for service as you're anointed in your declaration to preach good news to the poor. Plan your weeks around God. How about that? Is he worthy of that? Or does he get your bones? The answer is he's worthy. And he wants not our bones, not our leftovers. He wants our first and our best. He says plan for it. Or the other idol of our age, relationships. Sorry, I just got married. Let me tell you, in that culture, that was a week-long celebration, and they made plenty of preparation for it. He didn't just get married. They knew about it far in advance, and he's like, listen, I'm telling you, don't use your relationship as an excuse. Show up and serve God. I'm first. Before your spouse, before your kids, before anybody that's near and dear to your heart, he's like, I'll show you how to love them best when I come first in your heart but let me be there. Let me be there. He says, prepare. And when you do it, when you're prepared, he says, I want you to not only build your life in such a manner, but I want you to show up and offer to others as well not just those who are like you. And let me always say, my wife lovingly always reminds me, yes, also people who are like you. You don't just have to gravitate to somebody who you're completely foreign to. Yes, you have the friends you have for a reason. People who are like you, they count too, okay? But he says this. He says, go, not just to them, but go to the crippled, the lame, the blind, and invite them to the banquet. Let me tell you, the rich need the gospel and the poor need the gospel. The poor also need an invitation from those of means to come into a place that's good news to them. That they could be welcomed into a community of faith, right? Where they're not looked down upon where they're not treated as the rest of society treats them. Hello, everybody. Where we're literally saying, you are welcome here from off the street just as much as the person who came from my dorm room or in the house next to me, right? You're welcome in this environment just as much. And I know that if I throw a banquet like we're throwing next week, you might enjoy it and You can't repay me, but you know what? You're welcome here, and not just welcome to eat a meal, but you're welcome to have the issues of your soul dealt with, just like mine are being dealt with. You're welcome into a discipleship community, right? 
you're welcome into a discipleship community where I myself have been invested into and I've been reading and I've had the word invested in me and I want to share it with you. That I'm not keeping you at arm's length, but instead I'm actually saying that if you serve Christ, you will be my brother or you will be my sister just as much as the man who goes to work with me or the woman who goes to work with me. This is what Jesus is talking about, is it not? He said, because all the people who he initially made invitations to, he said, they didn't deserve to come because they're always just making excuses. But go get those who can't repay you, and they're going to eat at my feast. I want you to invite the poor. Practically, what does that mean for us? It means next week we're having something called Friendsgiving. I hope that if you are here in town that you've already signed up for it, if you have not, please do so. But it's not just for us, and it's not just for our friends or people who can repay you in some way. It's also for, to be a blessing, to show the love of God to those who could never repay. Who could never repay. And what some of the uh, members of our church have done is they've given generous contributions to actually help with this ministry to the poor. And so as you go out today, what you'll see, um, not at the hospitality desk, but at the um, table um, next to the doors immediately in front of me, is you'll see different bags. It's a little care package. It's starting to get cold, and people need to be blessed. We're going to be working, as you saw earlier, with uh, Pacific Garden Missions, right, to do a clothing drive. So some of those clothes that, you know, are literally being eaten by moths and you've not worn in probably about 10 years, please bring them. Somebody can use them. We're going to partner with ministries within the city that are helping um, that way with the poor. But those bags in the back are little care packages. And in them, there are things like socks or granola bars or water bottles. And um, they also have information about a wonderful ministry we've partnered with in the uh, city called um, uh, Cornerstone Ministries that helps people who are addicted or have different, um, you know, issues of trying to find gainful employment, try to rebuild their lives, bring them practically out of the systemic poverty that they find themselves in. There's information about that ministry in the bags, an invitation to that ministry that we're partnering with. There's also an invitation to Friendsgiving. So that how many people have been around the city before and at a stoplight actually had an interaction with somebody who might have been uh, asking for um, some money or some food or things like that, and you were just like, uh, I wish I could, I, don't, I only use a card, right? Well, now you could actually take something with you in your car and give an invitation. Or as you're getting off the bus on your way to work, have something in your backpack and have an invitation given to them to say, God bless you. Here's something just to try to express the love of Christ. And we're trying to invite you in, invite you into a place where not only you can have what's going on in your heart of hearts dealt with, but also you can come into an environment where people will love you, get behind you and try to support you in the thing that God's preaching to you, good news to the poor, right? An invitation to Friendsgiving's there. It's just a, an opportunity to give people an, a, a, a means of connecting with Christ followers and see some hope that could otherwise be theirs. We encourage you to pick one up on your way out. Practically, right? Because Jesus said, blessed are those who not only hear the word, but those who put it into 
practice. We're always looking for ways to put things into practice. Here is a practical way. Chicago is filled with those in need, and this is a means by which we can be not only declaring that we're anointed to preach good news to the poor, but we can do something about it. Amen? This is who we are, church, right? In an ongoing way, this is who we're to be. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and not only preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Now, is one Friendsgiving meal going to change somebody's life? No, but maybe. (laughs) Because it might be the first step for them. (laughs) You hear that? might be the first step for them for getting a foot underneath them to pivot on what they need to be and what God's calling them to do. Amen, church? So what we're going to do, no hype about it, we're going to go back into worship, and we're going to honor God the Father for His Son Jesus and all that He's done. But we're also going to go into communion, and we're asking you to pray that God Almighty, if there's been any poverty in my heart that I need you to deal with, to make me a new man or a new woman? Do I need, I need, I myself need to be reconciled with you? That's a moment that you can do that. And beyond that, if you've already been reconciled to God, you can say, God Almighty, I'm asking you that you would awaken me, that I can make a declaration just like Jesus did, that you've anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And I can join you some way, somehow, in being a part of that as the hands and feet of Jesus. Yes, the gospel primarily first, but also meeting the felt needs of people that are surrounding us every day. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. All right.